0: Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Welcome to Group Text. Sabrina and I are so excited to have our next guest, someone who I have known longer than either of us want to admit. And one of the loveliest, wonderful people I, I know and love and adore, Jack Osborne. Yay! are doing? Good. How are you? I, you and I have talked about this before, but the finale of your show, Portals to Hell, is coming up. Yes. First of all, nice title. Well,
1: you know. <laughs> 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 You know, it's kind of. Uh, it's you know, I, it, I, maybe we were just uh, when we came up with the title, we were just thinking of what what's to portal to hell right now.
0: Okay, tell me what the show is. I mean, I can tell you, "Portals to Hell" sounds like you know a family gathering at my house.
1: <laughs> so, the show essentially is me and my co-host Katrina. Uh, we go and explore the most terrifying, sinister, evil places alleged you know, haunted locations.
0: Let's, let's rewind
2: for a sec. Yeah, Jack, how did you become interested in the paranormal?
1: I got interested in paranormal uh, as a kid watching X-Files. I was a big like X-Files nerd. Like, I loved that show.
2: Me um, too, me too.
1: The best. The best. And uh, it just, uh, it was just a hobby. And in 2011, I did a show for sci-fi called uh, Haunted Highway. And it was like a paranormal investigation show that we shot all ourselves. Um, and it just kind of plugged me into this world. And then, you know, I did a couple things here and there and then Portals to Hell kind of came came out in about la- last year. So it's, uh yeah, uh, it's just, for me, I, I kind of represent the enthusiast on the show and Katrina is like the lifelong expert investigator.
0: Why the scariest places? Um. <sighs> because it
1: i i think you know there are situations where you know you go into these haunted investigations or and it's like the old woman that is in the rocking chair and that's i mean it's scary but it's not like terrifying you're like oh wow that's a that's a friendly ghost um and then there's places where it's like no stuff gets thrown at me i've been pushed i've been scratched i've been you know and that's like that's the stuff where like all right what's going on here this is this is A lot more, um, there's a lot more going on here than one would think.
0: Have you ever lived in an actual haunted house? And I don't mean like Kelly screwing with you as a kid.
1: Um, I think uh, we, yes. I'm going to say yes. The house in England that we grew up in, family still owns, there's a lot of weird stuff that's happened there. Uh, It is a very old house. Um, And then the, the house that we had in Malibu for a while, that place had some weird stuff going on. And the current owners actually messaged me uh, on Instagram a couple months ago, asking me like, hey, what did you see when you were here? Because we're having all this crazy stuff happen. Wow, does
2: your whole family believe in ghosts?
1: No, I'm like the outlier. Everyone thinks I'm crazy.
0: Well, that's it, That's with your family, and I say this with all love because we've all known each other for a thousand years, and just like in my family, it's really a day-to-day on who's the crazy person.
1: This is, this is so true, This is, it's like a sliding scale.
0: exactly so the Malibu house that's interesting because I've been in that house what what's gone on there
1: um I used to hear people like when I'd be there alone I would hear like cupboards opening and like it would sound like someone was in the kitchen while I was on the like the top floor and then um one time me and my dad saw a woman walk down the staircase um and it was just him and I in the house actually my mom was in the bathroom but in the room that we were in Um, really and then uh, doors would open. My friend slept over one night and he, um, he woke up and said that he, he like wide awake. And he was like, there was people, like five people stood in the room all having a conversation with each other. And I'm just and he's like, I was so confused.
2: Wow, that, that's really interesting. Joan felt like her New York apartment when she first purchased it was haunted by Mrs. Spencer. Was it Melissa?
0: Well, one was Mrs. Spencer, and then the doorman used to say in the sub basement there was something really scary. But Mrs. Spencer was the original owner. And uh she died actually in the air the the space that became my mom's apartment and she used to be convinced that Mrs. Spencer was there.
2: Yeah, and, and then she went on to have the apartment blessed, right, Melissa by Sally Glassman. I'm not sure if you're aware of her. Um, she's, she lives in New Orleans. She's a high priestess of sorts, but she's a white witch. And every time we moved into a new location, she would come out and bless the house just to make sure there weren't any spirits lingering.
0: Or bad spirits lingering. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people are so fascinated by the paranormal?
1: You know, I think it's because it's the unexplained. You know, it, it's, science tells us there's no such thing as ghosts you know oh it's this it's that it's a figment of your imagination but yet since written language has existed there's been stories about ghosts you know we've stopped you know believing in dragons and for the most part other weird mythical creatures because we just we know they don't exist anymore but yet we still write stories about ghosts and I, and i just think it's we don't we don't have an explanation as to these occurrences that happen you know, And the more that I investigate and the more that I go and do these shows, I would say that I've got, I don't know if I've come away with answers. I kind of have now developed categories of theories as to what it is.
0: What's been your most frightening experience? Actually, it's a two-part question. What's been your most frightening and what's been your most fascinating? Because they can be different things.
1: Well, oh, absolutely. The most fascinating was very recently. We were in Buffalo, New York. And... We were investigating a place called Iron Island Museum. Iron Island is a part of Buffalo that you know was very industrial, and there was like a little community museum about the area. And allegedly, the spirit that inhabits this location will turn a flashlight on if you ask it to. And so we set up an experiment, and we put three flashlights down this hallway. I was sat at one end, Katrina was sat at the other, my co-host, and she said, "Turn the flashlight. You know, if something's here, turn the flashlight on." and the flashlight turned on and I can't explain that I put the batteries in the flashlight myself it was brand new like it just doesn't make sense that I don't I I can't explain it so that was the most fascinating the scariest um was when we were uh, most recently when we were in uh Texas we were in mineral wells Texas uh doing the hill house and
0: what is the hill house
1: Hill House is this old house in in this. It's just like an old wooden house, very unassuming. You would drive past it and never. So you just think that's an old rundown house. But supposedly, a demonic entity inhabits it, and Ooh. this place has been connected to you know. It's a. It was the last lone location of a girl who was murdered, and there's like a cold case still active about you know the people that lived in this house and whatever. There's a murder associated to it, and then a. Uh, At one point, it's rumored that a satanic cult lived in this house as well. And what happened was we were in the top floor. We'd had a really odd night investigation. Everyone was on edge. Everyone was kind of really pissed off and just like at each other's throat all day. And we were about to conclude the night investigation. And it sounded like someone took a baseball bat and smacked to the side of the wall on the outside of the house and... We're on the second floor, like, unless someone was, you know, on the roof or, you know, had the ability to fly. And it, ter- like, everyone in the room, like, tried to hide inside <laughs> some box. Everyone was like, get me out of here. It was terrifying.
2: Do you ever worry that these spirits will follow you when you leave?
1: I, I didn't for the longest. I was like, that's BS. That's, that's, that doesn't make sense. Like, why why would us, There's no reason to. Um, and then things started happening at my house. They've stopped now, but there was a time when we were filming the show that my girlfriend was seeing things almost nightly. My kids were t- saying things to me. And then I, I started experiencing things. And, and it really, like I woke up one night and I was dead asleep and I woke up like punching the air. And I laid back down and looked over and there was a woman leaning over me.
2: Wow. Yeah. Did you did you sage after that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I was just like, I, I, it was very odd. It was one of the weirdest experiences of my life.
0: You mentioned earlier about coming back with bruises and scratches and being thrown around. Where where has that happened?
1: So that's never really happened to me personally. You know, there are members of our crew. We were in the. I guess the most notable for this season was that we went to uh, the Shanghai Tunnels in Portland, Oregon. And uh, one of my- What are
0: those? What are those?
1: Shanghai Tunnels were a network of underground tunnels in the city of Portland that operated from the 1800s until the 1950s. And they were used as human trafficking because getting Shanghai literally meant you were drugged and put on a boat that was going to China. And you would wake up 30 miles out to sea and you essentially slave labor until, you know, your duties were done. Um, and this went on until the 1950s. And so these tunnels were like this really nefarious ring of kind of modern day slavery and human trafficking. A lot of bad things happen. A lot of um, murders and you name it, it went on down there. And so the tunnels allegedly are haunted because of it. So we were down there, we were doing a Ouija board and my um, producer got scratched, had three clear as day scratches down his back. Wow.
2: That's intense. That's intense.
0: Yeah. You know, you have kids and you were just saying you think you brought something home one time and it wasn't like the friendly ghost at the Disneyland haunted house where you go through and at the end they're kind of sitting on your lap. How have you been explaining this to the kids?
1: I kind of don't. One thing I don't tell them though is that you know a lot of people, a lot of parents will go down the road. Oh, ghosts aren't real. Ghosts aren't real. I kind of don't say that because we don't know if they are or aren't. You know, I mean, if if they aren't real, why are there so many people having these experiences? What is it? Do you
0: believe that a a house can be cleaned or cleared or, especially if there's negative spirits?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure, I I do. I just, I think it comes down to, like I said, I kind of have these categories of what I think hauntings are, you know, and I I don't always think that hauntings are a um, intelligent, you know, disembodied spirit. For the most part, I think hauntings are two things. The first being, I think there is some energy spectrum that exists that we don't know how to detect, but when we encounter this energy spectrum, it causes hallucinations. Um, that's what I mostly think that hauntings are. Um, it's kind of like people that live under power lines. They get headaches, they get nauseous, you know, they can have these crazy symptoms, and it's just because of the electromagnetic frequency. Mm-hmm. to say there's something out there that's not giving us hallucinations. And then the second part of uh, hauntings, I do think uh, environmental contamination, some kind of mold, you know, magic mushrooms, that's a mold that will make it, What if some toxic molds in these old, you know, rundown buildings has some hallucinogenic property to it and we just don't realize. Um, now, you kind of, if you sidebar those, you know, I do think that there is the ability to kind of cleanse a space and, and kind of have a spirit move on if, that's kind of what you what you know what your intent is. Just as I think that there's the ability to invite stuff in.
0: Do you think there's more negative or positive spirits out there?
1: I think there's probably more positive, you know, because if you base it on if these are spirits, people there's kind of there's more good people than there are bad. Uh, you know, I guess that's just a matter of opinion, though.
0: So you've got the finale coming up, and your family has been doing this watch party. Yes. And poor Sabrina lived through me producing and or being on a show and having to have my mother's opinion.
2: How's that work out for you, Jack?
1: <laughs> the, the, the thing that I actually was most offended, was that they'd never seen my show. Really? I was like, are you guys serious? They're like, yeah, we, we just don't watch this kind of stuff. I was like... If you're opening, you know, if you're going to the opening of a box of chocolates, you expect <laughs> me to attend. Like, do you not wonder what it is I'm doing that takes me away from, you know, from the family for weeks on end? They're like, um, no. Yeah, they're like, well, we know you do ghost stuff. We just, we don't like this stuff scares us. We don't like it. I'm like, but you don't believe it.
2: They're okay, like, so who, who's the biggest scaredy cat in your family then? Um,
1: my mom, what well, she just does not like horror. She doesn't really like action films. She gets very, like, flustered.
0: So when they're all sitting and watching, does your mother, I mean, I, I mean, we, our mothers knew each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I know your mom. How does she not give you notes? Um, I'm sure you're getting them, whether you want them or not.
1: Here's actually what's happened, is that my mom has kind of, she doesn't, I, I actually am worse. I will give my mom notes more than she gives me notes now.
0: Oh, that's got to go over well.
1: You know, it kind of does in some regards because sometimes, <laughs> I, you know, every time I'm right about something, it kind of adds like a, it's like a, you know, a chip. It like keeps, you know, the pile keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then she's like, oh, okay, sometimes, you know, he can, he can be right. Um, well, you know
2: what? I know that Joan used to speak with Melissa about different things. Yes, she often opposed, but it's that cross generational thing where you want to stay relevant. So you may ask, you know, your, your son or your daughter, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what is blah, 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 blah. Cause they just don't know. They're like, what's that term? Yeah. And I'm sure you probably experienced that with your mom and dad as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when it's like, you know, I mean, the, the older our, our, our parents get, sometimes they come out with crazy stuff and you're like, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> that part. That no. part like that's no it's 2020 cannot say that not gonna fly
0: yeah well (laughs) like I said you and Kelly and I all have very similar parenting experiences um on a totally separate note my mother always spoiled my son and then handed him off to me Mm -hmm. um how's that going for you oh
1: that's alive and well I mean granted it I guess, outside of quarantine, it's alive and well. They they really, my, my parents have been kind of struggling uh, with and just even having a hard time FaceTiming the kids because they want, to, he wants to, they want to see him, they want to hug him, they want to actually, you know, they've been talking a little bit over the phone. So, uh, but it's just, they're bummed. And I know that the moment quarantine lifts and it's all good and there's no risk of like, anyone giving each other any life-threatening virus. Um, it's going to be, like, spoil central.
0: Yeah, and then they drop them off at your house.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Although yeah. my, kids, my kids are at a spot now where they're cool with sleeping over there, so I do that, too. I'm like, cool, sleep over there. Yeah, great. They oh, that's
0: me. even worse. They come back with, like, kid hangover from no sleep and too much sugar.
1: My mom does not understand, you know, no later than 9 p.m. at a sleepover. It's like, well, she went to bed at 1. We were watching, like, three movies. Like, how is... Like, she's 8. How can you put an 8 year old to bed at 1 a.m. Oh,
0: yeah, they're because they're in bed together and watching a movie. Yeah,
1: exactly. She was in bed. What?
0: Exactly. Okay. So, what can we expect from the finale?
1: Okay, so the finale is the Ohio State Reformatory, which uh famously was in um uh Shawshank Redemption. That's the prison that uh he's in. Um and this place um man, it's it's wild. It's incredibly ominous looking. one i mean it looks like some medieval fortress um but just prisons in general anytime you're in a prison or a psychiatric facility doing these ghost investigations it's like it's like nowhere else the the vibe. it's horrible because you know like the amount of suffering that happened in those walls is is like unimaginable um so this place is kind of haunted by a lot of these, allegedly haunted by these spirits of these disgruntled, you know, um, inmates. You know, one guy was burnt alive in his cell by his by his cellmate. And it's dark and it's weird. And we, you know, we did some sensory deprivation stuff in this episode where we're like alone and blindfolded in the basement. And it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a scary episode for sure.
0: I hope they pay you a lot to be blindfolded in a dark basement of an ex-prison.
1: I wish they paid me more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jack, it is always so nice to talk to you. Congratulations on the show. Again, look for the finale of portals to hell. And uh, we'll be back with more group text. Welcome back to Group Text. Joining me now is Dr. Stephen Greer, a UFO expert. Uh, Welcome.
3: Thank you very much. Glad to be with you.
0: The first question is, if if you look at what the Disclosure Project, explain what the Disclosure Project is.
3: Well, back in the 1990s, when President Clinton uh, was looking into UFOs, uh, they were not able to get any solid information. They were denied access. And so... As a doctor, uh, I had been researching this subject for many years. My uncle uh, helped design the lunar module that put the first man on the moon. So I had a huge archive on this subject. And so I went up and briefed the director of the CIA for uh, President Clinton. And I discovered that these projects were being managed in a way that was illegal and frankly criminal and began to dig deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole and discovered that, in fact, uh, the subject was uh, being managed through what are called unacknowledged special access projects. So that's how I started in the 90s. Uh, It eventually overtook my medical career, and now I run a project to bring that information out and also train people to go out and observe these objects and uh, attempt to make contact with their occupants.
0: And we're talking about UFOs.
3: Yes, interstellar vehicles. Now, there are two types of UFOs. UFOs is sort of a catch-all phrase. It means anything you see, you don't know what it is, right? Because it right. says unidentified. In reality, there are two categories of these. Uh, and I have a document that uh, if we were doing video, I'd show you. It's a document from Ben Rich, the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works that developed the U-2 spy plane and all of these, that where he states in his own handwriting, dated 1986, that there are two types of UFOs ours, which are classified man-made anti-gravity vehicles, and extraterrestrial ones. So my specialty now is to focus on both, know the difference between the two, uh, try to train the public on this, but also uh, put together briefings for executives and the government who who frankly you know you would think oh well he's the president or he's the head of the cia these people are being read in on or briefed on all this stuff.
0: Right. i mean when you say that president clinton was allowed to he was stopped i mean that seems a little absurd that
3: it is absurd but it's the truth it's an absolute outrageous illegal operation
0: who who would tell the president no you can't know about this
3: people in unacknowledged special access projects. And that's the proper term. You know, Trump uses the word deep state, but that is not a proper term. The proper term, just so we can educate each other, is an unacknowledged special access project. Now, there are lots of special access projects that are very top secret, uh, but the ones that are unacknowledged are completely off the radar and are being run without the oversight of the Congress or the president.
0: So who's running them?
3: Uh, well, there's a committee that deals with UFOs called the Majority Intelligence Committee, MAJIC. And I have a document from the National Reconnaissance Office that runs all the super secret spy satellites describing uh, you know some of these projects. And they're sort of run as a hybrid corporate government, very top secret organization that pretty much got out of control in the 1950s. This goes back a very long time. This is why you know, Eisenhower, who was a Republican and a general, said, beware the military-industrial complex. He wasn't talking about the mainstream military Pentagon operations. He was talking about these unacknowledged special access projects, because in the 1950s, when they began to unravel how these UFOs operate and realize that the disclosure of that would be the end of oil and the end of coal and the end of the petrodollar, of course, this would be a great thing for the earth and humanity, be it a bad thing if you control trillions of dollars in oil wealth. They said, look, we can't let the president and democracy have control over this too much. We're going to put this into a project that's so top secret that will increasingly leave the president out of the loop. And so that's why Eisenhower, unfortunately, he was you know, he was getting older and he was tired he had been, you know, in World War II, of course, as, as one of the, the main leaders of that uh, campaign. And he trusted people who betrayed the presidency. And it's, it's, been, a not, it's been a disaster ever since. So that's, that's pretty much a, a, in a thumbnail what, what happened. What we have today in 2020 is sort of a uber elite uh, interest that, that we would not want this information out to the public in an honest fashion running the show. And it's extremely unusual for me to meet someone on Senate Intelligence Committee or anyone at that rank who would have been read into or briefed on this subject in any sort of honest fashion.
0: Okay. Already my head is starting to, to hurt I'm sorry. With this, there's so much. <laughs> with, with, so with these with the president and the Congress and all that, is it almost a what they don't know doesn't hurt them kind of thing? Like a giving them plausible deniability?
3: That's part of it. And then the other part of it is that if they are people who would go along with the secrecy because they are by nature sociopaths, they'll tell them.
0: <laughs> oh my uh, god. I'm being very
3: honest. Okay. <laughs> I'm being really honest, and and I deal with these people all the time, frankly. And so
0: right.
3: if, if there are people who are not, uh, in other words, I'll give you an example. I was briefing uh, a former minister of defense of Great Britain, Lord Hill Norton, and he was furious because he had been head of the Ministry of Defense, head of MI5, MI6, and I'm at his cottage in Hampshire. He says, I want to know why I wasn't briefed on this the whole time I was in government. And I said, because you're a good guy. If you knew that there was a, a group of uh, sociopaths keeping this from the public and with it, withholding the solution to global climate change and poverty around the world because of what these technologies could do beneficially for our planet, you what, what would you have done? He says, oh, well, I wouldn't have stood for that for a bloody minute. I said, well, that's why they didn't tell you. They knew that you would not go along with this kind of uh, outrageous uh, secrecy that is actually harming humanity and the planet. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with your rank. It has to do with whether or not you're willing to go along with and play that game and keep things very, very secret uh, so that the, what I call the uber elites of the world can run amok and, and, and run the planet the way it is. I mean, no one asks a very simple question why are we using oil and gas and coal and nuclear power and jets and rockets the better part of a century after there was a technological replacement for them? And what I just said is a fact. We can prove it. So we are all running a planet here that is held back at least 70 years past what it should be. We should have evolved these technologies and released them decades ago. Now we're paying the price. And so I, this is why I left my medical career. I said, well, you know, I used to take care of <clears throat> all the really interesting things like shootings and stabbings and car wrecks and heart attacks. And I sort of view now as sort of my patient is the planet and her children. And we're, we're destroying this planet unnecessarily. And it's, a, it's an enormous crisis. So that's, that's actually why I left my medical career um, personally. But, you know, what? We, you know, we just have a movie that came out called Close Encounters well, want, of the Fifth Kind. I don't right, know if you've seen want, it.
0: I, I want to get into that in a minute, but Did I you know- you get a
3: screener? I meant to ask you if you got one. Yes, yes. Oh, good. Okay.
0: Oh Wait, we, you know, we're going to get into the movie in a minute, but I know Sabrina is dying to jump in. Sure. Here.
3: Oh, yeah,
2: please. Okay, so why are the uber elite allowed to have this kind of power and control and- the Government is in arms when they you know when they are combated with, that the Public does not trust them. When you have these secret organizations that literally are running the country and don't allow the leaders to know this information, this is why we have this kind of relationship with our government. It's like, it's insane to me. There's probably so much going on that they continue to keep away from us. And that's why people are feeling the way they feel about COVID. And I'm sorry to throw that in, but sure. Sure. why are they allowed to, to have these organizations exist
3: well, it, it gets to be very personal. So, I mean, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time, as they say. And no one's leaping tall buildings. And so when you run up against a group of folks who are willing to use lethal force to maintain a secret, most people are not going to go up against it. Um, I've had three people on my team assassinated over the years. We, we don't have that problem now. But it was a very dangerous thing to take this on i mean you know people have been erased for a lot less than this and you know and after i briefed president clinton's team on this including his cia director his sitting cia director one of clinton's good friends came to my home and said they very much agree with you that this needs to get under control this information and these technologies need to be released however if the president does what you're recommending i'd done a white paper and a set of executive order recommendations. And they said, he will end up like Jack Kennedy. And I started laughing. I said, you cannot be serious. This is like a very bad conspiracy novel. And what this friend of Clinton said, no, we are not kidding. We cannot protect the president from this cabal of sociopaths, or we're not willing to risk it. And I said, well, then what do you want me to do? They said, well, we think you should risk it. And basically what he said how, was how nice of them Well, he basically said it's okay if I get assassinated. It's not <laughs> okay if we lose another president.
0: Exactly. And how she, nice of them. Sure. we you know what? That's you, Washington, you. my
3: friend. Hey, my dear, listen. Yeah. That's Washington. That's why it's all cover your ass time. Yeah. Excuse my language. But it it you know, people are not. And so to answer your question, which is an excellent question, is that power abhors a vacuum. So if the people let something like this happen and our leaders don't have the courage to stand up to it, these kinds of sociopaths are going to step into that vacuum. I mean, let's do a, a more earthly example of this. You know, we had this little thing called 9-11 happen. Right. All right. Uh, we, you know, and, and so Cheney and his henchmen, and Cheney's been on this committee for a long time dealing with the UFO issue as well, concoct all these weapons of mass destruction that are allegedly in Iraq, which did not exist. They just ginned up the evidence. Based on that, our nation stampeded into a catastrophe, invaded Iraq, of millions of people dead, if you count Iraqis and others as humans, not just American lives, and trillions of dollars wasted on a complete ginned up fake um, situation where, you know, obviously Saddam Hussein had absolutely nothing to do with Osama bin Laden. Um, So, He was more of a secularist. He certainly wasn't a fundamentalist Islamic terrorist. And yet the Patriot Act got shoved through because we were all scared to death. And the next thing you know, we're in Iraq and and we're still there. So the problem is is when people do not put their foot down and stand up to these kind of forces, the warmongers and the profiteers, you know, our, our nation gets stampeded and the world gets moved in a direction that it shouldn't be in. So it really has to do with individual courage, people willing to stand up together and do the right thing. Um, Unfortunately, the reason most people don't like politicians in government is that there are extremely few people in government willing to do this on something controversial and dangerous.
0: That brings us to sort of your movie. Um, It's about close encounters of the fifth kind. Right. We all know from the movies, the third kind, right? I somewhere along the way have missed the fourth and the fifth.
3: Okay. Well, yeah, to go the uh, the fourth or when someone has an experience where they're taken on board one of these UFO ET craft, which doesn't happen often, but it has happened. And then the fifth kind is when a team of people uh, sort of serving as d- diplomats from earth go out and attempt to make contact. So I founded Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind as a research project, uh, well, it's exactly 30 years ago in 1990.
0: You're gonna have to explain this to me in Mm -hmm. like baby steps and like I'm an idiot. So you're saying that there's, what what do we call them? Extraterrestrials, what's what's the proper term? Living um, among us? Life forms, other life forms? So it's not like men in black.
3: Oh, no. No, you can just, everything in Hollywood is rubbish, um, unfortunately, except Close Encounters of the Third Kind was a docudrama. Right. Spielberg based that on uh, what Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who headed up the Air Force Project Blue Book, uh, studying UFOs, got him into Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and showed him the files. So most of what is in that movie is actually based on events that were actually did happen, but then were fictionalized by, by Mr. Spielberg. So let's say that you're, you're out someplace and you see one of these objects, a, a UFO, and you signal to it. It stops and comes over and signals again, and then maybe it lands. How, uh, do, you
0: think, well, how do you signal to it? Like with a flashlight? Do you, is it like, uh,
3: like you're flicking you use, your, yes. your you,
0: headlights at someone? You moon? can use
3: anything. And, and the, the number one way that these civilizations communicate and this is, gets into the whole last half of Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, this documentary, by the way, which is, a, I think it's, it's been pretty much number one on iTunes and Amazon for the last month, is the use of consciousness and non-locality in quantum physics. And what does this mean? It means that if you, we're, we're talking on this thing at the speed of light, right? Right. That's what the speed of light is, 186,000 miles a second. That's really slow, though, because if you're from, say, the Andromeda galaxy, and in this movie, you'll see a photograph of this E.T. from Andromeda, that's two and a half million light years away. So at the speed of light, just to say hello and get the message there one way would be two and a half million years. So these civilizations have technologies that would look like an electronic system that are interfacing with quanta of thought, consciousness and thought. So this, of course, is what Elon Musk, you've heard of his Neuralink project where he's developing technology so you can think to your computer, not touch it, and it turns on and does things. Well, he's not there yet. But I have news for Mr. Musk. Civilizations that are 100,000 to several million years more developed than we are have that as easily as you and I turn on a light switch or pick up our phone and talk on our smartphones. So we're dealing with civilizations that have technologies So that when you see one of these objects, you can send a thought to it. And if it with intention and clarity, they will receive that thought as if you signal to them with a laser or an SOS code or what have you. So this gets into the deep pond of uh, the deep end of the pond dealing with what does it mean to be interstellar? And I think more interesting, what does it mean to be human? Everyone thinks this is so exotic, but it really isn't. People have had telepathic experiences. People have had lucid dreams of the future. Uh, There's a CIA program dealing with remote viewing where they have trained people to use consciousness to see what was going on in the Soviet Union, for example. I know all those remote viewers from the CIA personally, a lot of them. So this is something that's another one of these hidden sciences that doesn't get much mainstream exposure Because, in my opinion, the government really doesn't want people to know how powerful each and every one of us are.
0: How have you come to these conclusions?
3: Through experience, research, practice, empiricism. You know, the foundation of science is empiricism. Right. Observing things and studying them and then checking them and confirming it. Uh, And that's exactly how we've developed this. My own personal experience began... With a close encounter of the fifth kind in 1973.
0: And what was that?
3: Well, I was up in the mountains of North Carolina, and I was meditating up on a mountain up above this little town of Boone, North Carolina. And uh, it was a before sunset, and I saw a UFO right before I was to sit to meditate. And it, it
0: looked like what we think of a UFO looking like.
3: Well, a they, disc they're in all kinds of dish. shapes, but this one was a disc-shaped, metallic seamless uh, similar to what you saw the the pentagon footage that was released recently that we were chasing and that object is exactly like the one i'd seen when i was eight so i thought oh well they're back i didn't think anything about i'm an 18 year old guy you know so i'm going cool Um, so i just see it and it's there and it, it doesn't move away like a plane would it just dematerializes it literally vanishes in a clear blue sky in october 1973 so I went wow that's really cool so I sat down and meditated and I had this very deep meditation at the end of which I was in this really expanded state of mind and peacefulness and there was a an ET that was a few feet from me although I thought it was a deer standing on its hind leg so they had beautiful deer-like eyes and it came over and touched me on my right shoulder And I had an experience where I was on this craft for about three or four hours, seemed shorter. And we sort of worked together, these ETs and I, creating this technique of remote viewing, contacting them, using consciousness. And I didn't know what it would ever be used for. But as time went on, I discovered this is something that people need to learn about. So that's the the thrust of the movie takes us from what the unacknowledged special access projects are doing, which is all hoaxing stuff to scare us. Basically things like alien abductions and mutilations, those are all being done by the intelligence community and what is actually going on with the the ETs and how do you make contact? And I always tell people, you know, this problem isn't going to be solved in the oval office. It's going to be solved by the masses of people out here, but the masses of people have to understand When you're dealing with an interstellar civilization, and it took me from the age of 18 to well into my, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, to understand what kind of civilizations uh, might be interstellar and how do their technologies work. And they're not using 20th century Earth technologies. Why should they? They're using their technologies, which are highly integrated into consciousness and thought. Because that's the only way that you can communicate across the vastness of interstellar space.
2: So, Doctor, you've likely spent much of your career being called crazy or a quack. How do you combat that?
3: No, I haven't, actually, because you have to, I mean, even the first meeting with the CIA director, the very first thing his wife was smart enough to ask, if, interestingly, the power behind the throne there was the wife, as often is the case, right? And um, Which director she, was it? Uh, the, the Woolsey, R. James Woolsey,
2: Wolsey. Okay. And
3: uh, his, so his wife was the chief operating officer of the National Academy of Sciences.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so no quack she. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the quackery is only the caricature by morons in the mainstream media. Let me just mm-hmm. be blunt with you. Mm-hmm. Um I mean and they're trained to debunk anything that goes off the reservation from what the intelligence community tells them to say because the mainstream media is utterly corrupt utterly so the truth is is that her she immediately thought how are they communicating across these vast distances never mind traveling and so i began to describe what i just shared with you about the nature of consciousness be in a field that isn't bound by space and time, which has been proven scientifically and which we document in this documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Look at it, you will see we take you on a trip through the science of this. And I said, so they are using technologies that interface with very coherent intended thought and transmits it across the vastness of space, not at the speed of light, but instantaneously.
0: Sounds a little bit like it's bordering on almost AI.
3: Yeah, it's AI at an extraordinarily sophisticated level where their technologies, as well as their innate abilities, as higher intelligent life forms, because humans can do this too. We have telepathy capabilities. We have lucid dreams of the future. Uh, we have the CIA funded a whole program for people using consciousness to spy for them. So we know that this is innate. So they innately have it, but they have technologies that would just make Elon Musk go crazy in terms of the level of sophistication of the electronic systems that are what are called trans dimensional physics. So they're, they're technologies that cross into other dimensions that deal with consciousness and thought And other realms that most people would relegate to the mystics, but in reality, it's science. You know, one person's mysticism is another man's science. Um, Go back 200 years down the road from where I am right now to Thomas Jefferson's home, and show him a smartphone or this video screen, and they would think you were a witch uh, because it just would look like magic, right? So we have to have a little bit of humility and understand that we're dealing with civilizations in the vastness of this cosmos that are hundreds of thousands, millions, and many of them millions of years more developed than we are technologically and in consciousness. So they have these capabilities that would sound mythological, like something out of the Vedas or Yogananda or the ancient uh, Himalayan teachings of the masters, but it's actually, or in the Bible, but they're actually technologies that are reproducible based on very profound discoveries in science. Which, by the way, the intelligence community drilled down on very heavily in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but have kept all that secret also. So we think we're a high-tech civilization. Actually, we're so retarded, we're at least 70 to 100 years behind where we should be. We're completely thwarted by the secrecy. The secrecy is killing our society.
0: Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, again, The movie is called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. You can find it on iTunes, correct?
3: Correct. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. It's on Google Play. It's pretty much everywhere um, right now. And there's also an app. So if people want to get trained in how to remote view, if you go to the app store, you can get, there's something called CE5 Contact app, and it actually trains you in the meditation and the remote viewing and how to set up a team to do this which has been fun. So a lot of people on lockdown have been doing this kind of with Zoom groups and having amazing sightings and experiences in their neighborhoods. And it's really a lot of fun.
0: Dr. Steve Greer, thank you so much. It's fascinating. Thank
3: fascinating you. Fascinating
0: stuff. Thank
3: yes, I really feel like much. we've
0: only scratched the surface.
2: Oh, yeah. The yes, information.
3: Definitely. All right. I thank appreciate you. your help. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Melissa Rivers, and this has been Group Text.